and uh, deal with the issues that they've got to deal with. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening for us. Um, I'm, I'm having trouble getting it together, but uh, that's not the exciting thing. Um, community groups, you guys have heard us talk about. They're underway. They started last week. If you are, uh, if you are um, a covenant member, it's something we want for every covenant member, somebody that signed the covenant. If you're not, you're still welcome. Um, we need community. We need one another. And we have maps on the back table. I'll remind you that at the end of the service. But along with that, in the coming weeks, um, you're going to hear us talking about ways to, uh, to reach out and begin to be missional about how we approach the culture that we live in and trying to find ways to connect, answer questions, and, and, and bring the truth of Christ uh, to them. Um, I think that uh, we're ready for that now. It's something we need to do. We're at a critical stage, and we need to see that happen. So those things will begin to occur, and I would, I would ask that in the time uh, between now and then that you begin to pray. And... Um, seriously consider um, how you'll play a part, but also that God would go before us and just cover this whole thing up in prayer. So um, there, there will come a day, and my hope is that there will come a day, and I'm praying for this diligently, that we have not uh, seen a bunch of growth through people from other churches, but that people who didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus, who were lost and in darkness, are walking in light. And uh, that's what we've been called to do, and so... Um, I'm excited that we're beginning to move forward in that. Um, but anyway, today, uh, before we get started, I'm just going to tell you that some of, the, some of the emphasis of my message has changed. If you've been with me in my teaching for some time, it happens pretty often. I try to stay flexible and, and ready to respond to the Spirit as He leads. Um, and so as I started out the, the week really preparing this and thinking about where we would head in this, um, some of that has changed now. And so I will do my best to present it clearly, um, and, and I'll just stick to my notes if I have to, and, and we're just going to pray that God will do what he needs to do and that, that uh, he'll speak to each of us. So but if, let's just pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for today. I thank you, as we've sung, that, that you've, you've given us a rock to stand on in your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've given us your word that we can learn from, that we can that we can be taught by, that we can be equipped by. I thank you that you give us uh, opportunity to serve you. I pray that in this moment, Father, that as we, as we think about the many different things that face us in the world around us and all of the circumstances and situations of life that sit in this room, I pray, Father, that in this moment and in this time, you will reassure, that you will reassure that you are big enough to deal with this, that you are, that you are, um, that you, that you will convict that there's things in our lives that we need to turn from, and Father, that you will, um, most of all, demonstrate to us your glory, your worthiness, your awesomeness, your 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 majesty. Help us to be moved, inspired, waking our spirits up. We're not just sitting and listening to someone give a lecture, but that we're hearing your Spirit speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that in my weaknesses and my failures, that you would just work beyond them, in spite of them, and use me today, Father. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are coming into the fourth week of a study um, on the story of Lazarus. It's in John chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles. You can go ahead and turn there. But as we, as we do this, and as, as, as I said, I've had to refocus some of this, but, but much of it will remain the same. It's very ironic how the Lord works, and he's going, to, uh, he, he's going to get his truth out one way or the other. And... He had us at this place, I think, for just a time as this, and, and so that's where we're at. But um, as we've studied this repeatedly, we have seen a story that really has been pitched for most of our lives probably, as we've, as we've listened and read about it, most of the time, I think most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I think that we focus on Lazarus. We think about this great miracle and Lazarus getting raised up from the grave, but... but 
here we are in our fourth week and we're just now about to study the actual event of the miracle because what we've seen over and over is that in this work that God was doing, in this work that Jesus was about to perform, we see His attributes and His power and His majesty demonstrated. And and that's really what's had us going and, and where we've been at over the last four weeks is that we're really seeing Jesus as the hero. We're seeing that He's truly the central focus of this of this story. Honestly, just as a side note, I would say this, that if you'll approach Scripture this way, all of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New, Jesus truly is the central focus. He truly is the hero of this whole story. And honestly, rather than seeing... Honestly, rather than seeing something that we can measure up to, in that we can recognize that we can't measure up and that He came in because we couldn't. He came into this world to save us. And that's really what the that's what all of the scriptures really point to. That's what all of the scriptures really demonstrate. But anyway, anytime you anytime that we we talk about what we're going to talk about today, any anytime that we begin to deal with. Um, who God is or, or what He's about. There's always questions, and that's really how we've, how we've faced it. We dealt with week one. We dealt with questions about God's existence in the light of suffering. Week two, we dealt with God's providence, even in the light of suffering. And week three, we saw that God truly is concerned, that He truly has a care and concern, even in light of suffering. And this week, we'll talk about His power, and at any time we begin to talk about things like this, there's questions that come up. There's questions that, that are difficult to answer. And this week, as I thought about the question that I, that, that I couldn't just, I, I just couldn't get this out of my mind, it's a question I've heard every time I've referred to God's power or studied on God's power. There's this question that rolls around in, 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 uh, in our culture, I guess. I don't know really where it comes from. I don't know who it is that asks a question like this. But I see it over and over. When I study God's power, and the question is, if God's so powerful, if God's all-powerful, can He create a rock that He can't move? Now, I don't know that that's even, that's a silly question. But I, I think that it, while it doesn't demonstrate the prowess of our intellect, I think it does demonstrate that we're always looking for a way to figure out that God's not all that He said He is. But I think today... I think today, through the Scripture today, that we will see that God's power is complete, that it is bigger than we could ever imagine. And a couple of concepts, as, as, as I deal with this, a couple of concepts that have to be dealt with, that, that, that have to be brought in from the weeks prior. I, I need to get them out here because there's people here that haven't been here every week. I, I told you these questions that we dealt with. But the topic of week one, the topic of week one was that God does exist in spite of suffering. That was the question we answered, but the, 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 the emphasis of the message was that Jesus actually said he was glad he wasn't there. You see, Jesus receives this message, and you can read this, it starts in John chapter 11, verse 1, and I'll just kind of work our way through as I talk about this. Jesus receives a message. He's with his disciples. He's off away from Jerusalem, and, and, and he receives this message that his friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus actually tells his disciples at one point, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because what we can begin to see and what we begin to recognize and what the Scriptures really showed us is that suffering is not a reason to disbelieve in the existence of God, but suffering in its truest intent is God using the circumstances of life to demonstrate His glory. You see, because if everything's great and everything's hunky-dory and, and we're just happy about life, we're short-sighted enough to think that we've done something on our own. But see, in the hardship, in the difficulty, in the things that come that we can't control and that we can't force to happen, we are required to depend on something else. And it's in that time, it's in that time, in those circumstances, that we see God work. And we see His glory revealed. And as Jesus is sitting and He's talking with His disciples about this, His disciples, as He begins to talk about, well, well now it is time to go, His disciples try to talk Him out of it. 
This is week two. Week two, we, we, we see God's providence, his, his, his working of His will and His protection of His people to see His will done. You see, Jesus, if you will remember, Jesus has confessed or, or actually made statements that the Jews were really mad about. In fact, they tried to kill Him multiple times. He said He was God. And they got mad. And they tried to stone Him. And Jesus because of that, left Jerusalem and went a ways away, went some distance away. And he begins to, to work there and minister there and still call people to repentance and still demonstrate his power and still show his grace and his forgiveness. And he begins to do all these things there. And that's where he is when he receives this message that Lazarus is sick. And after two days, Jesus says, all right, it's time to go back. And his disciples say, wait a second, Jesus. We can't go there. Don't you remember what was happening? Don't you remember that they tried to kill you? Don't you remember that they want you dead? And He demonstrates to them that because He's following the will of God, because He's following in obedience to His Father, that the outcome is not of first importance. You see, God's will is going to be done. But that as we walk... As we, as we live in obedience to God, we can walk with confidence even into situations that might seem risky. Even into situations that people might say, you're nuts for going there. But God called me here. And we can walk with confidence because His providence is what gives us assurance. It's His providence that, 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 that protects us and, and, and keeps us. Not how much control we have over a certain situation. But he gave, us, he gave us a contrast to that. Because as we walk in sin, as we live in disobedience, you see, Jesus told us that we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to have no confidence. We're going to have no assurance. But when we walk in the light, when we walk in the light, we can walk with confidence. That was week two. Week three, just last week, we studied that, that, that Jesus cared greatly for the suffering of His people. He walks into this situation and He's met by Martha first and she's broken. And then He's met by Mary and the rest of the Jews. And in the midst of that, He sees the hurt. He sees the pain and the difficulty and He is grieved in His soul. And the Bible tells us, one of two places that it tells us this, the Bible tells us that he wept. He hurt. And you see, suffering becomes not a reason to think that God doesn't care. It's not that God has forgotten us or ignoring us. You see, as we saw through the Scripture last week, God hasn't forgotten and ignored. But He came to us to save us. He, he came from where He was and He entered into our existence and He put on flesh and He dwelt among us, not ignoring, but deeply caring. Moved so much that He took it upon Himself to come on the greatest rescue mission of all time to save His people. You see, today as we think about His power, these things are, these things are absolutely dependent upon this issue. We must recognize His power. Because it's His power. It's God's power that makes His providence reassuring. It's God's power that gives us hope that we'll see His glory in the midst of difficult times. It's God's power that reminds us that the promises that He showed and, or that He gave, that He came to save us, that they'll truly come to be. It's His power, you see, that, that really makes all of this possible. Because if God was an impotent God, if He was a God that had no ability or no power, this wouldn't happen. His concern wouldn't be enough to come and save us. His, his providence, we couldn't count on it. And His glory would be pretty dim 
But as we recognize His power today, that's the kind of, it, it's going to become a call, not just to recognize it, but to make yourself obedient to it. And to ask what you're trusting in beyond it instead of it. So we're going to pick up our Bibles and turn to John chapter 11, verse 38. And that's where we're going to begin reading. That's where we will pick up in this story. John chapter 11, verse 38. We'll read through verse 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now, there's a couple of different different perspectives that we could take here, but but I really felt compelled this week as I began to think about this and began to to really feel what the Lord was was wanting me to share with you. I began to, to, to focus on Martha. And what's interesting about Martha is that Martha has already come to Christ. She's already met Him. And if you'll just look back just a couple of verses, if, if you'll look back to, to the point where Jesus is on His way and, and, and He's a ways away still from their house and from their village, it says this, When Martha heard that, Mary, or that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him, but Mary remained and seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know. Even now I know. She's confessing. She knows that that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is crucial. She's, she's confessing that, yes, I know that you can ask of your Father and He will do it. And now she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. You see, Martha has given this amazing confession. She's given this amazing, this amazing passage for us to look at that, that, that points to the fact that Jesus is more than just a mere man. She believes it. And even now, even in this moment, it's this verse, in, in verse, uh, I believe it's 39, where, where Jesus is calling for the tomb or the, the, the stone to be rolled from the tomb, she calls him Lord. She speaks to him and, 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 and uses the word. Kurios, and it, and it means one one that's supreme, one that has has authority, and she's demonstrating through her through her name of him that she understands that he has authority. But do you really want that stone moved? Do you really want to open the grave? You, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know what you've come for. But do you really want to do that? I know you have authority. I know that you are supreme. But are you sure that you should tell them to do that? Are you sure? It's going to stink. In fact, literally, she says, He stinks! It's been four days. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I've never been around a dead body that's four days old that hasn't been prepared and kept from stinking. But I imagine in a cave, even with the spices and the wraps that they use, the rotting 
flesh and the death probably stinks pretty bad. You could probably taste it. I would imagine it's one of those smells that's so strong you can just taste it. In fact, actually in that video, Mark Driscoll made mention the decomp is in the air and we can, we can taste it. It's so thick. I imagine that Lazarus' body, while he may have been the freshest, was probably not the only one in this cave because it was common for them to use these caves to bury people in. I would imagine that there was much stink and rot. Do you really want to do that? You see, the problem Martha was having is that while she recognized certain things about Jesus was that she was underestimating His power. She was completely underestimating what He could do. She'd heard the stories. She'd seen some miracles. She'd seen things happen. But she had no idea that He really had the power to do what He was about to do. She was underestimating Him. Underestimating His power. Well then, you can't help but come to that place where Jesus truly demonstrates the confidence He has in His Father. You see, Jesus didn't have to pray out loud. He didn't have to say this prayer in, in, in order to get God to move. He didn't have to say what He said to, to get God to, to conform to His will, you see, because Jesus was living in the will of the Father. He didn't have to, to say this prayer, but He did it for, for a very specific purpose. So that as he called Lazarus out, people would recognize that he was doing God's will. You see, he wanted everyone around to recognize that the Father had sent him and that, and that God was on his side. You see, ultimately, this was the biggest problem the Jews had with him. This was the reason that they'd been trying to kill him. You've placed yourself alongside God. You've made yourself God. They pick up stones and they're going to kill him. This is the problem that they had with him. But he's about to do something that places him not in word alongside God, but indeed in action alongside God. See, Jesus, his, his prayer was given sincerely. He, he wasn't concerned that when he called Lazarus out of the grave that nothing was going to happen. He was confident that it was going to work. He knew that he had the power to do this. He wasn't nervously approaching the tomb and, and wishing that he wasn't there. He, he wasn't concerned whether or not it would really work. He, he, he didn't have a concern that he couldn't follow through. Because his confidence, his confidence rested in his power. The power of his Father. <laughs> and then, he's standing there and they roll the stone away, and I'm sure, I'm sure it stunk. I have no doubt she was right. And Jesus says, Lazarus, in a loud and a commanding voice, come out. And we're not given an idea of how much time went by from the time that he spoke the words to the time they actually saw movement. I'm sure that in my love for movies and the way that I think in my mind. I'm picturing this significant pause. And everything's still. You could have heard a pin drop on the, on the sandy ground, you know. And everybody's beginning to look. He just called Lazarus out, looking, looking at the tomb, looking at Jesus, looking at one another. What's going to happen? And then they see something moving. As the light begins to touch on the grave clothes. What is that? He comes stumbling out. You see, he can't hardly move. He's wrapped up. He's got, he's got all of these spices and these wraps wrapped around him. He can just barely move and he comes stumbling out. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this, this, this thing that seemed impossible happened before their very eyes. He's alive! Can you believe it? He's alive. What? I, I'm seeing it pinch me. Somebody pinch me. Am I awake? 
Could this really be happening? He called and He came. What is going on? Who is this guy? You see, His disciples, boy, they, they'd been trying to figure that out for some time. There's a story that's shared in Matthew and Mark where they were scared to death. You see, they were in a boat. The storm was raging. Now you need to understand, these people were not unfamiliar with boats. They knew what was going on in boats. Some of them were fishermen and sons of fishermen. Which means they likely grew up on boats. And they're in this boat and the storm is raging and they know through experience that this is bad. This is like deadliest catch bad. This is serious. We are going to die. Today's the day. I, I never knew I would know it was coming, but today's the day I'm going to die. And they look up and Jesus is in the bow of the boat asleep. What is He thinking? See, His confidence wasn't in the circumstances of life. His confidence was in His power. And they go to Him, Jesus, wake up, we're going to die. We're, this is it. Wake up. We want you to experience it with us. We want you to go with us. We want you to know as much as we know. And He stands up. And He calms the sea and He calms the wind. And they are blown away. Who is this? That even the weather or the wind and the sea obey Him. Who is this? Oh, and they experienced so many things along the way. But if they hadn't figured it out by now, if they hadn't begun to understand in some way by now, this probably knocked their socks off. You know what? Even if they had thought they'd figured something out, this probably knocked their socks off. Can you imagine? It stinks in there. And that guy's dead and rotting. And here he comes stumbling out. He's alive. Because that guy called him out. What amazing power. Who has this power? Who can do these things? Something I, I and all the people I read and studied, nobody made mention of this, but 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 I couldn't help but notice Jesus actually had to tell people to go and unwrap him. You know, it, I, I'm, I'm picturing this moment where they're just stunned. What do we do with this? How do we react to this? What what is going on? Hey, go unwrap him. See, Jesus' power is so big, there's nothing He can't do. You know, he's not going to do anything out of His character. He's not going to use His power for anything that's not in line with His character. He's not going to use His power to solve trivial little silly questions like, can I make a rock bigger than I can move? He's, he's not going to use His power for things that, that aren't for His purpose. But there is nothing that His power can't do. He is all-powerful. Even powerful enough to put life where death was. That's pretty amazing. That's power. What do we do with this power? How do we respond to this power? I mean, it's not every day I walk around and see people coming back from the dead. I do have a story about that. I'll tell you it later. I, it's not, I, didn't, I didn't call anybody back from the dead. I don't want to lead you astray, but I do have a story about that. But this power, this power should do something in us. It should give us a sense of awe. And fear. It should call us to this place where we want to respond. It, it should move us. 
How do we respond to this power? What do we do with this power? You see, I, I think the unfortunate truth, I think the unfortunate truth is that all too often, all too often, we are underestimating His power. Just like our friend Martha. Martha was worried about stench. Jesus, confident in His power. And Lazarus was given life. But all too often, we're too worried about the stench. Now I don't... I try not to interpret Scripture this way and, and, and what I'm about to do. Um, I, I try not to use it as allegory too often. I think Scripture speak, speaks pretty plainly, um, unless the passage calls for that. If it's allegory, it's allegory. But this particular passage I don't think necessarily is. But the picture I want to paint for you before I bring this application, the picture I want to, I want to show you I could demonstrate in other passages of the Bible. I'm not going to mislead you, but I want you to have these pictures as I, as I bring application. So I want you to imagine this. I want, you, I want you to put this picture in your head. Here we've got the tomb full of stench and rotten decay. It's death. And the reality is, is that every one of us exists there. Every one of us. There's not a person in this room that, that this doesn't apply to. Every one of us exists there. We may not recognize it. It may not be something that we think about every day. But in a lot of ways, this world in which we live is a lot like a stinky tomb full of death and decay. And then you've got Jesus. And as He calls Lazarus out, it's the same thing He does with us. He calls us to life. You know, it's not first about my decision or my response. It's not, it's, it, it, it's not what I can do to, to make this, this formula of salvation work. It's the call of Jesus. It's the power of Jesus Christ in a world that's dead and dying to put life into it, not by anything that we've done, not by anything that we deserve, but by His power. And as He does that, we saw Lazarus come to life. The truth is, we, His children, the, the children of God, the, the, the brothers and sisters of Christ, we are given life. And then, as we're called out, we get to emerge from this tomb that's dead and dying. And the only thing that really connected Lazarus any longer to that tomb was his grave clothes. As we step out into this new everlasting life, the only thing that connects us still to what was is the sinful flesh that we wear. You see, it applies to every one of us. There's not one of us that are exempt. The only thing that connects us to what was, to what we've been made, is the sinful, dying flesh. But then Jesus called for Lazarus to be unwrapped. And He gives us a body of believers, a family, that we can stand in. And that sometimes we need to be reminded to do some unwrapping. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we need to stand together and help one another get over this flesh. There's not one of us that's exempt. There's not one of us that this doesn't apply to. And while I'm not proudly saying this, I will freely admit I'm a sinful and wretched man. And I deserve no place among you. And the thing that has me here is not what I have done in my life right. The grace of God, His call on my life. 
But all too often, we're underestimating this power. All too often, we're not connecting what this power can do in us to the walk that we walk out there. All too often, we're forgetting what He can do. How, how do we forget? How do we underestimate? How, what, what is it that we're doing? And how can I say this? Because every one of us trusts in things other than Him for our assurance and for our life. Oh, sure. We all, we all as believers can say, I believe in Jesus for my eternal life. But all too often, we're not trusting in Him for our moment. You recognize that you have this moment by His power and His grace? Do you recognize that everything, everything really falls or stays standing in Him? We say we know that Jesus is powerful. This is what I struggle with. But all too often, we're ready to jump in and control everything because really, I trust my power more than His. You see, we, we, we say that Jesus is... We, we understand that Jesus is powerful and that He knows the beginning from the end. But oftentimes, in the face of difficulty, He's the last place we turn. See, we trust in all kinds of things other than Him. And we underestimate His power. We underestimate His concern. We underestimate His grace and His mercy. And if we do that, see, we continue in and we cover up sin. Every one of us do that. There is not one person in this room that doesn't. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. And as I talk about this, I, I don't want you to hear a voice of somebody who thinks he's holier than thou. I want you to hear the, the voice of a father who's deeply concerned about his children. But this is something I think we need to speak very plainly about. Something that every one of us need to hear. You see, whether you think of it in terms of where we're at as a church or whether you think of it as in terms of where you are at in your spiritual life, God has called us out of that tomb of stench and death. He's put us in a place where we can receive help being unwrapped from the clothes that from 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 the clothes that connect us to that place we need to know it we need to trust in his power that he can do it you see it's it's not just his power that saved us but it's his power that continues to sanctify us it's his power that continues to cleanse us it's his power that makes this family that we live in able to help us remove these clothes Ephesians 4. Find my verse. Ephesians 4, verse 17. It says this. I'm going to read a lot. I want you to listen close. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to read along. Cameron, if you can get the verses up fast enough without being distracting, that might be helpful as well. Ephesians 4.17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you, he's speaking to believers here, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Oh, and he speaks very plainly. You see, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that, or the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. 
greedy to practice. They want desperately to practice every kind of impurity. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through your deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put the, or, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're not alone in this fight. We're not alone in this walk. We're part of a family. We belong to one another. And give no, oh, I'm sorry, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear you. You see, this is the call that is on each of our lives. This is the call that's on, on, on each of our lives as a part of the body. To remember the ones that we walk with. He continues, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're not called to this in our own power. We're not able to do this by our own means. You see, we underestimate the power of God by, by, by not walking in this way. We underestimate the power of God by continuing in our own way and doing our own thing and forgetting our brothers and sisters and standing alongside one another. The power of God is big enough not only to save you for eternity, but to save you in this moment. And the power of God is big enough to give you some gift and some ability that will help your neighbor, help your, your brother or sister come from sin. It will enable you to forgive when you've been sinned against. It will enable you to be tender-hearted and compassionate. It will enable you to forgive as God has forgiven you. That's big! What has God forgiven me? What has God done in me? And that is how I am going to end up forgiving others? Only by the power and grace of God. He continues in chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners among them. For at one time you were darkness, but now, now, he says, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And we could go on and we could hear him share with us more, but hear what he's saying. We are called to be different. If, if, if you can live in this sin and not feel conviction, I call you to, to repentance. I call you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I call you to listen to His Word and hear that the only way out of that death and that stench is by Him and His offering His fragrant sacrifice unto the Lord. To to hear that now as we accept this offering, as we stand in this place, that we are to be shedding these grave clothes by His power, with the help of His people. We should be... We should be growing and changing and, 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 and looking back on our life and seeing the old self being put off and the new self being put on. You see, that should be happening in each of us. It's, it's easy. It's easy to sit here and think, well, that applies to him. Hope he's listening. But it's each of us. I deal with it and you deal with it. And if we won't get up and walk, we're underestimating the power of God. We're underestimating what He can truly do. Again, He calls us to this, but He doesn't. He's not asking us to do it on our own. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. Paul is talking, he says, no temptation has overtaken you. No testing really could, could be the same phrase. No, no, no difficulty, no testing, no trying time has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, we're not simply being called to live in this righteous and holy lifestyle. We're not called to just simply walk away from all the things of the flesh. We're told that even in the face of great moral difficulty, great trying times, that even in those times when every way seems blocked and that there's no good decision to be made, we're told that God will provide a way. He'll provide a right way for you to take. He's not asking you to walk a path that's impossible as long as you're doing it in His power. It's impossible on our own because we're going to stumble in the dark. He's called us to walk this path trusting in His power and His provision. You see, He's called us to walk and He's giving us a way to do it. We underestimate His power not only as we continue in and cover up sin, but as we turn to the wisdom of the world and ignore the Scripture. 1 Timothy 1st Timothy, didn't I? 2nd Timothy. I even turned there. I even looked at my notes and turned there. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent Equipped for every good work. 
He's even given us a book to help us. A Word that's true and dependable and that equips us and makes us ready. And yet all too often, we're really, we're, we'd rather deal and, and, and depend on our own philosophies. And we turn to these books. And, and I'm not saying that people can't be learned from. I'm not saying that God can't use people in books to, to write things and, and to bring His truth. Don't hear me saying that. But all too often, we're ready to elevate them above Scripture. And we're denying His power. We're underestimating His power when we, when we think that we can find a book or find some counselor or find some person in this world who can give us what, what, what is promised us in the Word. The Word of God is, is, is these things. The Scripture is good for teaching, training, rebuking, and equipping. And if we don't know the Word and we're not in the Word, we are underestimating the power of God in His Word. You see, and it's in this, it's through this, that then we're made able and equipped and made ready to begin this walk. To begin to, to see this change in us. To, to begin to, to see these grave clothes be stripped off. And we're so willing and ready to trust in other things. Because I think we underestimate the power of God. There are so many ways. We're, we, 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 we'd rather hoard than give, even though the Bible tells us that God's going to provide our needs. We'd rather hoard and save for a rainy day. I might need this. Than give. Because we're not trusting in God's power to provide. We're given ministry to do, but yet we, we don't feel adequate and we're scared and, and I can't be up here doing this and, and, and you shouldn't be doing that and, and, and you just can't do it because we're underestimating that God has the power. He has the power to work in you and through you. He's given us a mission to bring His truth to the world and He says, go and make disciples. And I am with you, He says at the end of that. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. But yet, how many of us are actively looking, actively working and sharing truth with people we meet, with people we know? Because we're underestimating the power of God. See, God, He's big enough to do all of this. He came into this place. He put on flesh. And he dwelt among us. And He lived in the stench of death. And He saw us as His children. And He called us out. He's called us to a new life. To a new walk. And to stand by one another. And help one another rid ourselves of these clothes that connect us to the grave. And He's big enough and powerful enough to do it. And we can see that in the resurrection of Lazarus. And we never have to wonder again. I don't want to end on... I want you to feel the weight. But I don't want to end where it's heavy. Because I want you to understand that hope that truly comes in knowing your Savior. As you stumble and fall and you deal with this sin that each of you are dealing with and that I deal with, we still experience His grace. You see, His power makes that possible as well. We still can know His hope. And His power provides that for us as well. You see, it's His power. It's His power that gives us something to count on. It's His grace and His mercy that we count in. But it's His power that convinces us that we can actually get up and walk this walk. So as I finish, I want you to deal with the conviction of sin. I want you to know your sin. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to ask, even, even as the band comes, I'm, I'm going to ask them to be quiet for just a minute. Because I want this to be a serious time that you reflect and you confess your sin. 
I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads. In fact, why don't you do that now in band? Why don't you guys come? The reality is, is that, as I said, we all got it. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. Begin to think about that sin in your life. For some of you, it's going to be more obvious than others. Some of us have to... You know, some of us... Some of us the, the reality is, is that the number of men that are sitting in this room is very likely that there was somebody looking at porn today. You know, some of it's grotesque like that. Some of it's just really obvious like that. The reality is, is that the rest of us, or not the rest of us, but some of us, you know, our sin's not quite so obvious. We deal with pride. I'll tell you, I deal with pride. I tried to, tried to be repentant and before you about my pride. Some of us have a temper and we're angry. Some of us are bitter. The, the, the thing about those sins is that they don't just demonstrate that we're wrong because we did something that the Bible says not to do, but they really begin to demonstrate that we're not trusting in the power and the presence of our Savior. So I'm going to ask you, I want you to name those sins and I want you to repent of those sins. I want you to ask for God's forgiveness for those sins. And if there's sins you're dealing with and you need help, you are not the only one. You are not the only one. I want you to pray for God's reassurance and His hope and, and His mercy. I want you to ask that, that He would demonstrate to you He's put you in this place for a very specific reason. And among this people for a very specific reason. That you might be grown. And that you might overcome the sin that so easily entangles. Father, you know us. And do you know us? You know me. You know my flaws. You know my failures. You know my my sinful thoughts. And you know my sinful ways. And you know each of us in that way. But out of your love, you sent your Son, and we thank you for that. We thank you that he came, that we might live. We thank you that, that when you look on us, you see us covered by his righteousness. You see us as a, as a people that are pleasing to you by his work. We see it. You see us and are pleased, not because of our own perfection, but because of what he did. We thank you for that. Father, as we struggle with these things, as we deal with these things, as, as we begin to, 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 to try and open up about these things, I pray, oh, I pray that you would, that, that you would convict our hearts as, as this people not to be gossips, not to be people who are out running around telling stories on one another, but to be a people who genuinely cares and stands by one another that we might overcome. As you work in us, as you work through us, dear Jesus, I pray that if there's people here today that don't know you, I pray for you to shine the light of your truth into their hearts through these words. I pray that you'll bring them to to, that you would give them life in this moment. 
that you would that you would regenerate them and convert them and make them yours. I pray as we stand to worship that you'll be honored and that you'll be glorified. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.